Hi, everybody. This is Tracy, and I'm delighted you've joined me for this episode of Good Life Stories. I created this podcast because I believe we are all seeking connection, and what better way to do that than through story? So get ready. These stories are meant to suck you in. Welcome to Good Life Stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Good Life Stories. This is Tracy, and today I had the chance to talk with Christian Faith. And she is a person who works with leaders and creatives who are working to make the world a better place, and they'd like to get there faster. She's a movement and performance coach and a teacher of the integrative Alexander technique. It's a whole self approach to championing the beauty of our human design and the intrinsic relationship to confidence, connection, and freedom. I am such a huge fan of Crispin and everything she does. I'm so excited for you to hear her talk today a little bit about her history with having a dance company, as well as now her new chapter of being an integrative Alexander Technique coach. What she does is so powerful and can help so many people. I'm really thrilled to have you. Again, thanks for joining us on Good Life Stories. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Tracy, your host of Good Life Stories. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I am so excited to be sitting with Crispin Spaeth. Is that the correct way to pronounce your last name? Spaeth. So just a Spain. Uh, yeah, yeah. A little got bit it. less. Okay, yeah. perfect. Um, Crispin and I connected uh, during the pandemic, and I've had the wonderful privilege of getting to see her in person now as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm absolutely fascinated by what Crispin does and can't wait to hear her stories, some of it in relation to it and some just about life itself. So I'm excited to hear that. So Crispin, you said that one of your life stories you wanted to share today was about moving to Seattle to start a dance company. Can you tell me a little bit more about where you came from as well? And what year was that? Yeah, so I moved here in 1990. Um, Prior to that, I was at college at Oberlin College in Ohio. And prior to that, I lived in New York State in Rye, New York, which is where I grew up. So hop, skip and a jump over here um, to the West Coast. Best Coast, sorry to say. It's my opinion, (laughs) only my opinion. Um, and I moved out here with a college pal at the time. We were, um, very involved in dance and choreography in college, although I did, um, I did not get a dance degree. I got a visual art degree and, uh, we kind of couldn't agree on any other city. We were looking at (laughs) Chicago, New York, San Francisco, which at the time felt like dance possibility cities. And this seemed uh, kind of like an open field with some dance history that actually we didn't know how deep the dance history was um, before we got here, but, or I didn't certainly. Um, yeah. So yeah, I came out here in 1990, started so when choreographing. You got here, yeah. When you got here, what dance companies existed in 1990? Cause I mean, I know about the Pacific Northwest ballet, but like, I don't think I know more in the dance world. Like what was going on in 1990 when you got here? Well, have you ever heard of Bill Evans? Mm-hmm. So Bill Evans, I think, started here. I would have to dig into history to really 
there was a there was a strong following of Bill Evans Dance Company here. I know he did a um, a summer workshop, and people who had worked with him um, were continuing. There was a trapeze, uh, low low flying trapeze guy, Bob Davidson, amazing. Yeah. Um, there was also Joan Skinner, who was in the experimental. Let's see, I kind of Alexander related in this field of experimental movement studies she yeah. was at the university of washington joan skinner she developed something called skinner releasing technique that is used creatively and also for uh i would say healing exploration yeah okay so thank you sorry to interrupt your story so you guys got out here kind of got a lay of the land mm-hmm. then what and then i started you know kind of burrowing into the local dance community i got a job as assistant technical director at on the boards which was really my creative home for decades yeah and while working there i had also done some tech uh, a lot of technical theater in college um and then in between at the american dance festival so to me being on the crew of these productions of major international artists was really just like continuing my education about um, not just how to use the technical components of uh, this highly creative and wide ranging art form, but also um, new ideas in composition and performance and content. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it was sort so of much. like so much. So it, to me, it was almost like, I don't think I would have identified it this way at the time, but it was like the way that I could do graduate school was to work yeah. on these stage crews and be around these artists who are making amazing decisions about what exactly is going to happen on stage. So, Wow. Okay, I love that. So for you guys, when you were getting your dance school started, did you get a dance school of your own going? So I was never a dance teacher. I had okay. a dance company. So I hired dancers to, to uh, rehearse with me and create new works and perform those new works so i taught a, i tried teaching a little bit teaching dance technique but i just didn't love it um and there are some yeah. people who are so good at it i was like yeah you know, i'm gonna support myself in other ways that's a kind of a traditional way to do it it just wasn't for me okay so now i realize like with my listeners i was just listening to an amazing podcast um the other day called uh i don't see the point so like with point with an E. Um, and it's all about ballet. And they were talking about some really interesting stuff. And I realize as you're talking, I'm asking about a dance school, and you're telling me something and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I don't know the difference between a dance school and necessarily a dance company. Because I said dance school, you said I don't teach technique, you know, like, in the sense of where I feel like I'm having half a conversation with you. Will you tell me a little bit more about what the differences in those are? Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. So it would be the difference between um, say a music school and an orchestra or a music school and a band. Right. So the band is the, is the creative, they develop the creative ideas and perform them all. Got it. So, um, whereas a music school is, is teaching people how, how to, to do the do things. things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you. I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I missed something. <laughs> 
So you had a dance company. What was your dance company called? Crispin's Faith Dance Group. I didn't well, stray too far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have a form that you like, are, were you modern or jazz or what kind of, did you have a, a thing that you love the most or? It would be called modern um, okay. or it might be called contemporary. At the time we were calling it contemporary, but that has come to mean something else now, which yeah. it should because contemporary should travel in time. <laughs> yes, um, yes. So a lot of my influences were ways of making work, not so much aesthetic around work. So it was people who were doing experimental processes to create new work. So sort of like abstract expression and visual art yeah. started to break down like representation or use of metaphor or or you know mess with meaning um in new yeah. ways like dadaists were messing with meaning in some ways and then the abstract expressionists were doing yeah. something else and i would say i was in the abstract expression world at the time what was really popular was Fun. called dance theater <laughs> which yeah. which yeah. i did some of that and that was, I really, I really, I kind of bridled against it because there's so much to be done without being attached to narrative. There's so much possibility. That was, that was my jam. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. It's like when you talk about that, thank you for kind of the correlations within the art world. I feel like more people have seen and understand types of art than necessarily have seen and understand types of dance, at least on the level of what you're talking about for that really finite between, you know, contemporary versus modern versus jazz, like all the, the nuances that really exist there, if you understand the world of movement. I love thinking about though, when you're talking about more kind of, I feel like what you're talking about is working with dance on the creative level where you're not necessarily saying, hey, here are the steps we're going to do. It's what are we, what's the, ex what are we trying to express? And and how do you make your your body say that? You know, and I I love thinking about how that would happen. You know, what the what a session of what a creative session would look like in your dance company when you were trying to create a new work. Like, did you start that process? Was it something that was a group exercise? Um, it was sort of a combination. So I would have a um, a big idea and, and, and sometimes there was, you know, a vision for it, meaning I would, I would know kind of generally what was going to happen. Um, but sometimes it was a, a kind of feeling or vibe or concept I wanted to, to look at. A lot of the things I looked at were around money and power, which is, <laughs> which is always interesting and, 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 um, to me. So I have, I was just looking, I've been doing an archive project and looking back at my titles and they're like supply and hand over fist and engine <laughs> anthem. There are all these things about capitalism. It's very. How funny uh, though. Like, I love looking back at stuff like that, you yeah. know, and for where you are now that like, I feel like where you are now came out of all of that mm -hmm. and not necessarily in the you know, money and power dynamic, just the that creative expression and becoming a whole new thing and ways to teach new things to new people. Mm -hmm. So the, so in a rehearsal, it, it might be something like, 
let's do an improvisation, especially in the later years, let's do an improvisation around a certain power dynamic. Like, uh, you really only want to go this way and you, and someone else has to get out of your way, for instance. So I'm, I'm, I'm pointing a line with my hand and making yeah. a wiggly. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, and then doing that for long enough, those improvisations for long enough that some kind of new truth comes out of it. And I also did oh, a lot of recording fun. of improvisations to, and then we would re, we would create the dances off of those videos often. Oh, wow. What a fascinating process though. Like I want, I, I was wondering, thank you for sharing that piece. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, you know, when you're building something conceptually over time with movement, like I feel like if you weren't capturing some of it while it was being done, you know, last week versus this week, you, you could lose some of the, Oh, this was beautiful. Let's make sure we try and do that again. And then add this other thing on the end, you know, how, how you'd put it together. That would be a really fascinating way to watch that come together so dancers are amazing and for most of i would say for the first say 12 years i i relied on their amazing computer memories yeah and that process of learning and remembering and and stuff kind of gets cooked over the you know the time between rehearsals um, yeah. sometimes overcooked, sometimes undercooked, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> so in the end, yeah, working with video helped me keep that, helped me make clearer decisions about like, oh, this was really awkward. I want to keep that awkwardness. Let's not smooth yeah. that over. Yeah. The, I like the awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's, there's so much magic in dance there in when you can capture those kind of moments, that, that awkwardness or the smoothness, depending on what you're trying to express. Yes. So, (laughs) so for dance, so for you, did you, had you been dancing for your whole life? Like, did you dance when you were young and then went to school with a focus on dance or with the, was your intention to major in dance? No, my intention was to major in creative writing and math. And I don't know exactly why I decided to focus on visual art. I I might've been hiding out a little bit. I definitely wasn't the smartest kid in the room. You know, that was, that was, I mean, I went to a very good high school, so I can't say I was the smartest kid in the room there either, but you know, it was, I think many people go to college or, or change educational environments and they're like, oh, whoa, I'm going to have to work quite a bit harder. Maybe I'll go to the art room. <laughs> Maybe I can hide out a little bit in here. Um, but I did a, I loved the art program. It was, um, really had a heavy, the emphasis on art history. Yeah. And, um, that just that felt like a natural place to be and then so to answer your question more specifically yes i had always done dance but it was just sort of my hobby right um, okay so it wasn't your you, you were not just like the, the 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 in the sense of the obsessive dancer that was your life it was just part of you it was just part of me um it yeah. was my after school activity is this you know yeah um and then it wasn't until i took a choreography class where i was like oh this is where i can i can think about and express all of the things I'm interested in, the, the big math concepts and, and the big social concepts and all of the art influences and thinking about nature and just everything um, yeah. fell into place for me then. And it's funny when you say that, because when you said, you know, that you were, you're, you were thinking about majoring in creative writing and math and I'm thinking, 
So you did that with your dance company because you're, you're simply writing with movement instead of writing with words and thinking about how much actual math goes into dance. Mm. But dancers don't talk about it in math terms. But like the spatial calculations that you have to do with your body to move it precisely are mathematic. We just don't think of them that way. That's, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And I often, some, sometimes the way I think about dance is, is kind of like this moving, reduced shapes physics, like lines and things and, you know. Um, I'm gesturing wildly for the audience. <laughs> yes, gesturing wildly with the arms. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, so and 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 also figuring out how to make things possible. <laughs> like, hmm, yeah, this partnering thing's really hard. I I I I know the answer is in physics. Let's just reason through this a little bit. Yeah, but like, I love the idea, you know, and just like what you were saying, like that reduced reduced physics, but like. Whenever I work um, and talk to creative people like my, you know, I think of everyone as creative and, and I look at, and I also look at everyone as being engineering math and mathematical. We just process it differently because I mean, I look at dance and I think about the innate understanding you have to have of the timing and the beat and the space on stage. And like all those things are, they are calculations and measurements that you're doing, you're just not writing them on a piece of paper. And, and I love that about (laughs) movement. Yeah. But I mean, as a choreographer, you would be, but like as a dancer, like as a participant doing it, you wouldn't be thinking about what's the calculation to move my arm this way. (laughs) You don't think about that, but like you still work within the limits of physics and, you know, all those things just really come together. And I love thinking about creative dance that way. So when did you decide to move away from that? And was your integrative Alexander Technique internship, like, did that start? It sounds like those overlapped what you, when you were starting to learn that. Because your second story was like your slow boat to becoming certified as an integrative Alexander Technique. Is it a teacher? teacher? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Um, I, I use the word coach now. It feels more... Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of both. Uh, you've worked with me, right? So there's edu- there's yeah. an educational piece, and then very quickly, it's a yeah. it's a coaching piece. So it's yeah, mix. it's much more collaborative than it is necessarily sage on the stage kind of teaching, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started studying with my mentor in right around 1993. Yeah. So it wasn't long after uh, 93, 94, something like that. So, uh, it became apparent pretty quickly that I had a desire and aptitude to take this on. And I, yeah, so it took me 25 years or however, I can't do the math on that right now. When did I get 2017? (laughs) That's when I got officially certified. Um, because it was, frankly, my dance life was my priority and supporting that financially was, um, yeah, all I did. So, um, investing in my Alexander technique education, I could only do occasionally. So I would come and go from it. But, you know, once you kind of get the hang of it and fall for it, 
you want to use it all the time. So it, it wasn't like I stopped being involved. I just didn't have a, have formal opportunities all the time. So were you able to, sorry, were you able to incorporate like, so wait, okay, hold on. Pausing for the audience again, Mm -hmm. please tell us what the integrative Alexander technique is. I mean, like in the mini version, then we'll talk a little bit more about it. And as you explain it, Mm -hmm. it is uh, the integrative Alexander technique is a way to, I'm going to try a new, some new language here. Sure. It's a way to get to know yourself as a human vertebrate so that you can more efficiently and likely with more pleasure do the things you want to do. It relies on cooperating with your vertebrate design. So, yeah. So when we're talking about moving you know, integrating yourself. I mean, I think that I think like the integrative Alexander technique, I always remind myself like, okay, it's about integration. It's about, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's kind of putting something back together that we've disconnected, but maybe not completely. So I love the, that was a really good description though. Thank you. What is IAT? Yeah. I think to address the integrative part, I I often think of it as a whole self process. So body and mind are never separate. And I think one of the reasons it's so people can get so much benefit so, so quickly from this work is that because body and mind are never separate, we just have to remind ourselves of that. We don't actually have to put them back together. They're already there. Right. (laughs) Yeah, like yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, they're they're not actually separated. It's more the tightening it up or clearing up that that oh, I see that thing over there. You know how how those things work. Yeah. So you were working, you were studying your integrative Alexander technique while you were still running your dance company. Were you starting to see and use kind of some of these techniques with your dancers? Like, did that show up? How did it show up in your dance company phase of? IAT. Um, it showed up in everything. I definitely used the ideas with my dancers. I don't think I was confident enough at the time as a, because I wasn't officially a teacher to use it as, yeah. as much as I think I would have in hindsight like to have done. Yeah. Um, some of the big ideas of Alexander technique definitely came into my work. I made um, one piece about chicken little. Well, I made a whole <laughs> show about Chicken Little, but that was basically a love story to the Alexander Technique. It was a solo, so I didn't make anyone else do it. But it was, you know, like what That's happens fun. when your nervous system experiences an inappropriate amount of fear, and then you become vulnerable to yeah. bad guys, basically. <laughs> How funny! Wow, that would have been fun. That would have been fun to think about. I and I love that idea of Chicken Little because that's a story I think we can all identify with. Mm-hmm. you know and how he responds and you know just all that all the that sky stuff that is comes falling. with it yeah so what would you say was your tipping point when you realized you wanted to go you know did you decide to shut down your dance company or like did you look at 
the IAT stuff and just say, I want to go full bore and finish this? Or was it kind of, hey, I'm I'm so close, I should just finish it? Where where was that on your becoming a coach? I had shut my company down in 2007, um, largely because of life, you know, I needed some money. <laughs> I couldn't live that way anymore. As a, as a, you know, 40 year old, I was like, all right, I, I need to make yeah. up some time here. Um, <laughs> it was sort of, it was sort of like, okay. I mean, I don't really have a bucket list, but this was, this was like, <laughs> Crispin, we need to seriously do this now. It's not, it just right. always felt like an eventuality that I needed to pay some attention to. Right. Um, and the, the teacher training model was not like, Oh, there are semesters. It was when you show up, it was sort of a um, grasshopper model of, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. when you right. show up is when you <laughs> are studying. So I just needed to make, um, I needed and could make the time to show up at that point. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when, so you finished in 2017, mm-hmm. did you kind of set up shop right away as a coach? Were you still doing kind of your other, other gig at that point? What did that look like? I was doing um, a couple of other things at that point. I had, this is uh, like, I don't, as I said, I always needed to support my dance life and, the, and um, there were a lot of skills I'd, I needed to learn to run my dance company that could also bring me income. So, you know, in the early days I was a, a technical theater person and then a bookkeeper for nonprofit accounting. And then I worked for a nonprofit accounting firm and then, you know, just like sprawling yeah. gigs. The last thing I did, which I might do again, I don't know, is uh, working on corporate events. And that was something that dovetailed nicely with my teaching because I could say, okay, I'm going to Vegas for two weeks. I can't teach right. during that time, but I can teach these other times. And that kind of ended during the pandemic, actually. So I, <laughs> yeah, I did start yep. my, yep, mm-hmm, as it would. I did start my teaching coaching business uh, right away and at the end of 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's funny because when you're talking about I love that your your third story was the you know you were you've been a gig worker for your your whole life and your last W two was probably in two thousand and three, and I was just laughing thinking oh my gosh like you were a gig worker before we really were using computers, <laughs> like you know, yeah they were yeah. around but like they weren't terribly useful yet. No, I used you to know, drive around yeah. with a a Thomas guide to you know when I was working on sourcing stuff from the industrial district i needed to go find some pipe so i would go down on the right. <laughs> get out my yep. you know the thomas guide map books yes yes, yes. yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh that's so funny to think about and it and it's interesting that you and i kind of have a lot of parallels there like i i have a kind of an official gig now but like i've spent so much more of my life being an entrepreneur running different businesses you know and just having that I think the thing I always love about being an entrepreneur is I have control. I want control over my time and what I'm putting my passion into because I'm never just doing one thing. And so, you know, being able to kind of shift my focus as my, as my heart leads me to is, is fun. So I love, I love knowing that you've been, been chasing that in a happy way for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and one of the benefits of the Alexander technique is is being able to make those changes. You know, like yeah. showing up yeah. as myself wherever I am. Yep. And doing what's appropriate at the time, and yep. then moving on. Yep. So I love asking people about their superpower. And I think it's one of the most fascinating processes for me for preparing for each of these interviews is what people put there. Because like the last gal that I interviewed had like nine things. And she had like her, it was kind of ordered. And I've had some people with write a couple of sentences and everybody approaches like this idea differently. And a couple of people are like, that seems like a really silly question. And I'm like, yeah, but we all have something that the world, even if we don't recognize it, I tell people it's the thing that other people recognize you for. Like, oh, Christman, you're so good at, I wish I could, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be anything really, really special in the sense of unique. Like it's something that most of us can all do, but it's how do you do it differently? And I love for you, you just put down one word, observation. So tell me more about that. How does observation show up as your superpower in your life? Well, as a coach, I watch people very closely. That's an important skill or yeah. so I don't know if it's innate or certainly developed. Learning how to watch dancers in my dance career and, and where something wasn't quite um working or you know was it a was it a concept was it an understanding of what's happening mechanically was it uh, a conflict of of desire like I don't, maybe you don't want to do that thing so you're not doing it well you know like <laughs> well but with the, the dance yeah things. yeah mm-hmm. yeah with dance people are you know you're asking them to express and so like if they like you're like you were saying that maybe they don't want to or maybe you have to conjure up some type of feeling to create that. And sometimes that can be hard to access. So that'd be fascinating to observe in people. Mm. So when, when I'm working with people now, I rely on their desire. So I don't have any creative control unless I've like made up some silly exercise just to get things moving. But um, if somebody wants to, for instance, write in their journal, I want my, my job there is to help, them remove any obstacles so i'm looking for oh is it something in in the environment is it something in their thinking or in their like often it's something around permission or the way they think it should be done i should i should be doing this particular thing or is it something in their training around how how they were taught to write when they were five years old, the way they hold their, you know, there's all kinds of things. And I, I just sort of look for the the tells or the, or what I would call interference to help them do the thing they want to do. I I love that description of talking about what you're observing as interference. And I feel like your skills as a choreographer and having a dance company for so long, when you were trying to create an idea with movement that you had to unpack what was getting in the way. Like you, you actually trained yourself in finding interference before you were even labeling it as interference with the Alexander technique. Like you were doing that, but like just not in, not in the very conscious deliberate way you are now, but you were still doing it. Right. Because you were create, you were using it as a way to open up, to get dancers to open up or to create it. Like, and what keeps coming to mind is what you were talking about that, the video where you 
you had said, you know, oh, I want to keep that awkwardness. Like, how do you capture that? Like, that's such a complicated concept to think about capturing visually and then repeating to make sure you stayed awkward. You know, (laughs) that's really, really intentional and hard. Yeah, you get down into the into the nuts and bolts physicality of it, like staying like a second too long before you turn the other direction, for instance, like, right, you, you know, it when you see it, but there is uh, still but trying to explain to someone how to create an awkward movement, like just I, I love that. Sorry, that <laughs> I find what you do so unendingly fascinating. It's like, how do I unpack those pieces? Um. Okay, so next thing on my list is um, I ask for a favorite uh, quote or saying, something like that. And the quote that you had was, sometimes I see it and then I paint it. Other times I paint it and then I see it by Jasper Johns. And I feel terrible because I don't know who Jasper Johns is. So you're probably, he's a, uh, he was a visual artist, um, in the pop, generally in the, you would call him in the pop art era. Um, mm-hmm. you've probably seen his American flags or did some very like heavy and caustic American flags. He was oh, a contemporary yes. okay. of yep. Robert Rauschenberg. Yep. I know um, who he is. Yeah. And he, there was a piece that he made um, that was a, a was a brass casting of a light bulb and a light socket, and it was displayed separately. So it had this kind of you know uh, tension, 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 right? Yeah. But when when the some reviewer asked him why he did that separately, and he said, "Oh, when, when they came back from the casting, they they didn't fit anymore." And I just thought that was so funny <laughs> and, and maybe, a, maybe a lie, maybe apocryphal, but I just thought, Oh gosh, you know, like seeing things for what they are, even if they're about manufacturing. Yeah. cracks me up. Yeah. Well, and I love the idea that like the message of that changed just because like you couldn't fit them together. Right. I hope I'm and, identifying. I hope my memory is, yeah. is, is accurate here. If I have that's it wrong, right. art historians, I'm sorry. Wait, that's all right. Please that's just put I it in the comments and let us yes. know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, even, even if it's not him, just know it, like understanding the concept, like sometimes something's, sometimes you create something and it comes back to you. So something like that, where it's being cast, where it can actually come back different than you sent it out, even if it's just by you know, micro, you know, millimeters of difference, you know, sending that out into the world and bringing it back. But I I just really enjoyed that quote, because I feel like with all the creative stuff I've done in my life, I understand that quote. And I I think that's one of those things that I feel like it's a good quote that helps people under, if you can sit down and explain it to someone and talk to them, that they'll understand the artistic process better. Because mm-hmm. it's hard to put that into something that, okay, how does this work? I think that what, what moves me about that quote, and it's actually right next to my desk all the time, um, nice. is that uh, like someone's personal process, whether it's a creative process or setting up systems for your business, um, it's your process. There, yeah. like, there may be benef- more beneficial ways to use your time or 
you know, but to, 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 to superimpose a creative process with a bunch of shoulds. This is how a painting gets made. This is how a poem mm. gets made. This is how a business gets made. It's not yes. always that helpful because we're, we're exploring and creating. So right. the process is also going to be new. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and undoing, undoing from a lot of shoulds, you know, I, I remind people who I coach a lot to stop shooting on themselves because <laughs> it just doesn't, it literally just doesn't do any good. Like there's no, there's no additive factor in saying I should have done something a different way, like outside of maybe recognizing you don't want to repeat it. Right. And that's it. You know? Um, okay. And then asking if you could get one thing done in the next year. Um, you had put that you want to have a sudden creative vision about how to productize the teaching of IAT, <laughs> you know, and, and I love that idea because I find what you do so intensely fascinating and on so many levels, so impossible to explain. Like to actually tell someone. And even when I tell them, I find they often look at me confused. But if I show them, they get it. You know, if I say, What do you you tell people? Oh, I've been talking about, so uh, Crispin and I have been doing part of a writing thing on and off for the last year and mostly on and off because I failed to show up regularly. But (laughs) she's very consistent. I am not. Um, But talking about when we were, when we were working on the exercise with Barbara, what was the thing that we went through? Forgive me. I'm blanking on the, the workshop thing that I did with you. Oh, moving words is the name of the workshop. Moving words. Yes. Your moving words workshop. Please go look it up. She and Barbara are amazing. And I have learned so much about opening up different ideas and writing. And the example that I use is, um, what looking at what you're writing, just looking, at the thing you're writing. So like you had, I was writing an, an actual like kind of journaly notebook and it was getting up and moving around with it and like reading it aloud. But even if it was just getting up and moving and looking at it and like holding that to get your, to get yourself kind of reintegrated and what am I doing? And I just, and so I've used that with a bunch of my colleagues and said, Hey, if you're getting ready for something and you have notes that you've prepared and you want to feel like really ready, I find that this is a great way to center myself is just to pick it up in my office and stand next to my desk and simply observe. Like I'm not even necessarily like reading them aloud. I'm just observing. And that was so powerful. When we were working in that in moving words and I can't really explain why <laughs> it works. I always would love to have the why. So can you tell me how that, yes, why that I, works? Or I what think is so. that? What was that exercise? Yeah. Well, it's such a lovely, um, I'm so glad it's been helpful to you. And, and, um, the why is, is that that's an integrative moment. Like, what am I actually doing? Uh, and I just actually wrote a, a blog post about this. Like people who, who are like, t- think they're too much in their head. Mm-hmm. It can be very simple to, you know, look at your hands, to touch things, to get sensory input, to remind yourself that you have this amazing resource <laughs> that is this body and mind connection that is inextricable that can help you 
through um, what may seem like a challenging task. So if it's a um, presentation or getting ready to meet with a client or, um, you know, wanting to be your very best with a new on a sales call, for instance, yeah, like your desire to do well could one's desire to do well could put them in, put their nervous system in a state that makes it challenging for them to do well. Right. So getting some, um, you know, touching something, looking at the object, seeing what you're actually doing can remind you, Oh, I'm in this moment. You don't have to do anything extra to be in the moment. Uh, although we did just make some recommendations. There's nothing to add. And I, I think that's what I was, what was so profound about what you were teaching. And, you know, I, I feel like it's always the things that are very simple that are actually very complicated, but are not always complicated to apply. So like, even if it was just, you know, slowing down and like when we were talking about writing stuff, even if it was just taking something and writing down everything you can observe about either a thing or where you are, like getting narrow on that really helped me understand like, okay, if I'm, if I feel, if I'm feeling stuck, stuck is a word people seem to use a lot, which I love thinking about with you and the vertebrae thing. I'm like, oh, that stuck could just be, I need to observe. I need to reintegrate myself with where I am. So I love that that idea of using, you know, for me, I find photo prompts much more helpful now that I've worked with you and Barbara, because when I now do a photo prompt, the first thing I start thinking about is, okay, if I was in that photo, and with whatever story I imagine it is, all I do is imagine starting to describe it. Like just noticing what would, if I were in that photo, what would I be noticing? Or if there was something different about that photo that makes it align with the story I want to tell, what would I observe? And that helps me kind of move into the writing process in a way that I had never been able to access easily. Like it had always felt like, oh, I have to have an idea. Well, where's the idea? I don't know how to get that. Or I might have a prompt, but I wouldn't know how to start writing about it. And so even if it's just for me looking at a picture in relation to what I'm starting to write about, even if the, even if what comes up is I have this writing idea and I've looked at a photo and they have nothing to do with each other, being able to differentiate them also helps. Like it doesn't always have to kind of like come together beautifully, but like, I just find that that observation technique that you and Barbara talk about was just so powerful for writing. That is amazing. So. <laughs> that's so cool. Thank and you. And that's and that's totally the Jasper Jones quote, right? Sometimes yeah. Sometimes you see it and then you write it. Sometimes you write it and then you see it. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we are coming to the last thing that we had talked about and I always want to give people an opportunity to shine a spotlight on something. And um you said that you're inspired by Jen Pride. Will you tell us what that is? Mm-hmm. Gen Pride um, is an organization based in Seattle that is um, provides. I'm not on their board. I'm just a, a super fan. <laughs> You're just a fan. Um, yeah, I'm just a fan. <laughs> they provide services for LGBTQIA plus 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 senior citizens yep. in 
in Seattle and beyond. They are now the anchor tenant of a new building that's called Pride Place that's opening this fall on Capitol Hill that is housing for, um, as they call rainbow elders over 55 um, who are interested in affordable housing. So it's just this amazing that's done in, in collaboration with an organization called Community Roots that does low-income and affordable housing. Wow. And it's just an amazing um, opportunity. It's the first of its kind in the Northwest, and yeah. um, it's going to help a lot of people. Ah, I love stuff like that. I love stuff like that. So, everybody, we're getting ready to wrap up with Crispin. I will have all of her links if you want to find her and learn more about what the Integrative Alexander Technique is. She's a great newsletter. I love her newsletter. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me today, Crispin. I really appreciate all you shared with us. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to know you, and it's so generous of you to invite me here. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Good Life Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website at goodlifestories.com for more show notes and additional episodes. Please subscribe and consider rating and reviewing the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help others connect to us. Who do you know with a good life story? I would love to hear from you. Good Life Stories, creating connection one story at a time.